commit to our transit priorities? He can't do it. This week, we've debated it a billion times, but we're a billion dollars short, so let's relitigate LRT. Plus, our bus network redesign passes with contention, and our mayor might be losing control of council's message. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally. We are in episode 64 and we are nearing the end. We've been doing this over a year now and last year around Christmas time, council decided, hey, Christmas is more important than the holiday season is yes. more important. Yes, than, very PC of you. Yeah, well, actually, UPC. <laughs> UCP. UCP. Have you noticed that like every media organization constantly says UPC? Uh, it, it bothers me, but I do it it's as well. easy to get them mixed up. Council's going on break pretty soon. Uh, Council's holiday break runs from December 16th through January 10th of 2020. So we're going to be off on some of that. We'll figure out the schedule and we'll let you know. But until that point, we are live here and now. So we've got a rapid fire segment to deliver right into your ear holes. An Edmonton Catholic school board meeting ended this week after 13 minutes and a couple of recesses due to hand raising in the gallery. The hands, which were raised above the heads of people watching, were raised in the room in which board chair Laura T. Bear neglected to address the business of the day. Some of the hands had five fingers, though reporting has not confirmed that. It is confirmed, however, that board chair Laura T. Bear, who refused to address the banning of a local mother from her son's school after administration allegedly behaved in a racist manner in a meeting, does have five fingers on the hand that she raised to adjourn the Catholic school board meeting without addressing any of the items on the agenda for which it is her job to address. The board, which a previous education minister had characterized as so dysfunctional it's disturbing, voted unanimously to avoid doing their jobs at the meeting. In the interest of fair reporting of both sides, however, we should mention that the public gallery was there. So who really knows who's at fault in this situation? We can't get any traction or interest from the province, said the CEO of Transpod, a French company with interest in a tractionless tube. It's an aircraft without wings, he said, as he attempted to explain the Hyperloop technology which is like a gondola with less feasibility. The fictitious line, which is the current arousal of the Edmonton to Calgary high-speed rail pipe dream, actually is a pipe dream, vacuum sealed to move pods as quickly as possible. The company boasts that the technology could move people between the two cities in 30 minutes, a mere 30 minutes more than Star Trek transporter technology. The northernmost stop would be at the Edmonton International Airport, but people wanting to commute from the city will be able to use the newly announced Tesla Biblio Shuttle, a pickup truck that would run from the new downtown tank to the airport. Combined with Stephen Mandel's self-driving only QE2 lanes, the three ridiculous technologies combine to form a Voltron of over-engineering, a non-solution to a problem that would simply be solved by a train. After an 8-10 season, the Edmonton Eskimos have fired their head coach, Jason Maas, ending his four-year tenure. While the coach inherited a Grey Cup winning team when he took over in 2015, the team has been said to be treading water since. The organization, looking at the Oilers leading the Pacific Division to an almost certain playoff run this season, must have been thinking, hey, 
If they can do it, we can too. However, while this episode is being released on Black Friday, the Oilers have churned through 15 coaches since the city earned the moniker City of Champions on the Black Friday in 87. So hopefully the next few coaches don't have a generous severance package. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by the TELUS World of Science Edmonton, home of the Canadian debut of Marvel Universe of Superheroes. The exhibition is on now and runs until February 17th, and Edmonton is the first and so far only Canadian city to host it. The exhibition features more than 300 artifacts, costumes, props, and interactive elements that bring the Marvel Universe to life. You can learn all about the story of Marvel and its influence on visual culture. You can buy tickets today at tellusworldofscienceedmonton.ca. I was thinking the other day, if the MCU were Edmonton City Council... Would Don Iveson be Captain America or Ant-Man or Iron Man? <laughs> None of the above at the moment. <laughs> we'll get to it. So this week, a lot of stuff happened. And I think the best place to start is the bus system, which got a redesign. And I'd say barely passed, but it passed. It passed. Just a little bit contentiously. Yeah, probably... You know, I often say to people that it's good to have a council that has a few 7-6 votes. You don't want everything to be a landslide. But this one surprised me. An 8-5 vote in favor of the bus network redesign is a bit too close for comfort. Especially something that uh, is like so long running as the bus. This didn't come out of nowhere. This was not a surprise. And it's also something that is probably, I think it's fair to say, long overdue. And we have counselors talking about this like it's a big change. And yes, it will be a big change, but it's not like it's an unwelcome, unneeded change. The bus network was designed for a city of 400,000 people several decades ago. I would say that most things designed for 400,000 people don't work for a million people. That's probably a good rule of thumb. And in fact, a city administration also said that when they proposed the redesign. So what does the redesign look like? Well, the big two things that people are talking about in the redesign is the first, it reduces the number of routes, right? So instead of having 240, we go down to about 140, so 100 less. And what that means is that people might have to walk a little bit more to get to their bus stop. And that's the other big thing that people are talking about in this redesign. Yeah. And we previously had, uh, I don't think it was actually written in policy, but a procedure that 400 meters was about the maximum you could walk to a transit bus stop from any given place in Edmonton. Yeah. Council and administration have sort of upped that a little bit and it could be six, seven, eight hundred meters. Up to 800. Yeah. So you might have to walk a little bit more, but the promise of the redesign is that it will bring greater capacity to high frequency routes and in theory will make the quality of service better because we're not running so many empty buses when they could be used on other routes that are full and over capacity. Yeah. And I mean, Mayor Iveson said this when he was speaking to the motion as it was passing. This isn't going to remove any buses from our roadway. It's just going to take empty buses and put them on routes that they can be full of people, which unquestionably seems like a good thing. One could say, hey, there is a solution to this problem. Uh, If you want to have an increased capacity of your transit system, maybe move to increase the capacity of your transit (laughs) system via funding. Well, you could see our last week's episode for more on that. Um, Not everybody was in favor of this, of course. So we said eight to five. The counselors who voted against it 
I haven't looked. Um, okay. I, I didn't oh, okay. watch this meeting. This. Okay. So let's let's guess. see if Troy can't guess it. All right. We're going to have good old John D from Ward 3. Nailed it. Uh, Mike Nickel, because mm-hmm. no to everything. Banga, because he votes for whatever Mike votes for. Um, we got to go north side. Maybe Sarah Hamilton voted yeah. against. Yeah. That's four. Uh, did No, Paquette voted yes, he would. Who's the fifth? You got me on the... It Was it Cartmel? No, it was Katarina. Uh, ah, Katarina. The of other course. frequent no vote. Yeah. Okay. Like you've watched Council before. <laughs> yeah, those are the five that voted against it. And I would say, like you, I'm not surprised by Nickel or Zadik or Banga or even Katarina, a little bit by Hamilton. The reason I guessed Hamilton is because, and I think we'll get to this in the next topic, there's a frequent refrain BRT over LRT is dog whistle for I hate public transit. Yeah. And Sarah Hamilton campaigned on let's scrap the LRT and let's go for BRT. So the subtle hate of public transit, I, I've always got it in her ball court. Okay, so these people voted against. What was some of the justification for voting against? I mean, you can see Zadok and Nickel. They're pretty obvious for voting against. Did Katarina or Hamilton or Banga give any justification for their no vote? Well, Banga wouldn't, right? He doesn't. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and I'm not really sure, actually, what the clear reasons were. That was part of the reason why I thought this item was so interesting. Like, why are they voting no for something that seems like a no-brainer? Mm-hmm. Um, especially given how the context has changed, right? Yeah. And that we now have this climate emergency and we've been talking about mode shift for a really long time. This is, you know, very much aligned with a direction that council has has put forward over the last decade or so. It's not really a surprise to me. So I'm not really sure. I mean, I think the the most contentious or the most uh, common feedback we heard was, you know, that this will be a big change for people. It'll really impact people. People will have to walk a lot further. You know, it'll take time to roll this out so that people get used to the new routes and all of that kind of stuff. The person who voted for it, though, that I thought was going to vote against it was, in fact, Cartmel. And that was really interesting because he wanted to get people to his, his colleagues to delay voting on this. Yeah, we'll get to Cartmel in just one moment. I want to talk about Mike Nickel a little bit because you said one of the big issues was, you know, this is too fast. This is too big. This yeah. is a big change. And people that was... won't be able to react to this, which is kind of like saying, you know, we don't think our citizens can handle this. But really, I mean, they put up with a terrible service every day. Yeah. And it's also <laughs> like if you rebuild a house, people are like, well, this house with a better roof and better insulation is going to be so much different than your old house. Are people really going to want to live in the new house? Yeah, it's better. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Nickel, he took a bit of that refrain of this is a big change. <laughs> and he took a very interesting tact. I saw one media interview where he said, you know, we've done so many things where we do the whole city at once, like calcium chloride and bike lanes. And he also lumped in playground zones there yeah. too. And I thought that was an interesting, um, line in the sand to take it was very much a this was iveson's agenda a calcium chloride iveson really fought hard against removing that yeah uh, bike lanes iveson's the bike lane mayor we've we've all been on facebook comment sections we know that playground zones traffic safety that's a thing that iveson has campaigned before so i saw that as another case of nickel really putting a dividing line in the sand i, I realized um After I lost the election in 2017, I had unfollowed Mike Nickel on Twitter and I just never followed him back uh, after I got over it. And I noticed that this week and I'm like, oh, okay." And I clicked follow and I went back and read through some of his tweets. And as someone who hasn't seen them, 
and got a first breath at them, I noticed something almost immediately. And it's hashtag we can do better, which I guarantee you is Mike Nichols campaign slogan for mayor. Um, It appeared first on July 3rd of this year. That was his first thing. And it has been in 20 tweets since. And if you filter for hashtag we can do better at Mike Nichols, it is a campaign platform. There's one tweet about each of Mike's important issues. He doesn't tag it on just the garbage update tweets. It's only the big policy initiatives. Mm-hmm. And we can do better. We're talking about doing better than Iveson. His whole proposition is going to be we can do better than Iveson. And this is him drawing another line, a wedge between himself and Iveson. Dude's running for mayor. You've talked about it before. Maybe this is a little bit more evidence. That was very fascinating for me to see. Overall, the... The bus network passed, even with Cartmel voting for it. But delaying LRT, that was an interesting thing that you mentioned. Let's talk about that a little bit, because there was a blog post at the start of the week, and we both said, hmm, that'll be interesting to talk about. This is going to be lots of fun. Councillor Cartmel made a lot of noise this week about LRT and asking for a, a halt to the Valley Line LRT West because he wants to have a discussion about bus rapid transit. Hey, if... You recall the thing I already said earlier, that's dog whistle for I hate public transit. So what did he say? He said, if we were to employ a BRT approach to the West LRT alignment, the first thing we'd get is great big savings in money that we might redirect then into providing service to those that are losing it. Yes, I think I'm going to be a fact checker. Let's do it. So first, he's not wrong. BRT is cheaper than LRT. Sure. Uh, Only incrementally cheaper capitals. Um, A lot of people who support BRT think, if I paint a bus lane on the road, that's BRT. No, BRT is like... A dedicated s- lane. And dedicated station. You're still right. building LRT stations, right. except buses drive up to them instead of trains. There is an incremental capital cost savings. You're not laying rail everywhere, but it's not huge. And it's more than made up for in operational expenses because every bus, additional wear and tear on the road operators on each bus each bus can only hold like 40 50 people whereas an lrt car can hold upwards of 500 that's a lot so there's an operational difference there so what you're saying is no great big savings i am even going to push that further and say a great 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 big cost because just like a lot of people say arenas don't fiscally benefit a city and in most cases they are right Edmonton just got very lucky with our arena because we had a chronically underdeveloped downtown. So what that led to is things like the community revitalization levy, where we paid for upgrades based on the future tax revenue of higher value properties based on additional development in the core. And our CRL has paid off billions upon billions of dollars. We have recouped. Well, not yet. That remains to be seen. I It's on track. But, yes, it is on track. Yeah. Um, I'm an arena truther. <laughs> okay. Um, but. Another episode, another day. Another episode. In fact, there is an interesting book out that we want to talk about we sometime. Do. Arena discussion aside, maybe I shouldn't have brought it up. LRT spurs investment. When you have an LRT, right. there are rails in the ground and they can't change based on a bus network redesign or something. So private companies who want to invest in transit-oriented development and build up around these transit stations, they can with the tacit guarantee of rails not going anywhere. This is assuming, of course, that council decides to approve rezonings necessary for this to happen. But yes. Absolutely. And that is the point of LRT in general. Right. We chose a low-floor LRT because we wanted to integrate into transit-oriented developments. If we throw that away and make more buses... 
No one invests around a bus route. Right. Buses are loud. They're noisy. They're ugly. No one wants to live next to a bus, but everyone wants to live next to a train. People like trains. So no savings. Wrong, Carmel. Councillor Hamilton was also talking about that and said that there are way more significant financial benefits to the city for LRT. So she was defending LRT Which against Which is very this. interesting because she campaigned against that LRT when she was running for Ward 5. So what I like about what she said is, we decided it a year ago, so it's disappointing to see the councillor be so opportunistic as to use a serious question about how Edmonton is going to invest in capital projects going forward to further an idea that council soundly rejected a year ago. Now, I like that for a couple of reasons. Um, first of all, she's kind of opportunistic in saying that as well. So mm -hmm. kettle calling the pot black. The other thing I liked about it, though, is that she's right. Like we have these discussions. We shouldn't relitigate them, as you said, off the top of the show. And usually, though, it would be the mayor that would rein in these kinds of conversations. And in this case, we have probably another mayoral candidate stepping in to do that. I uh, also like it for a third reason in that she voted against the bus network redesign, which is something that yeah. we've gone through for yeah. years. We've been talking a lot about Cartmel wanting to save money by this LRT proposition. What do you think Cartmel might spend this money on? You know, given that we were talking about the bus network, you might think that he thinks we could increase the quality of service by spending on buses. But no, I'm guessing this is all about a freeway. It is about the Terwilliger Expressway. And you'll recall when he was talking about the Terwilliger Expressway in the debates when it was getting dropped down on funding priority because ACT funding yeah. was disappearing. The argument he made was, well, shouldn't we organize these projects by order of priority? So... The Anthony Hende sees 80,000 commuters a day. That's a lot of commuters. I'll remind Mr. Cartmel that the Valley Line LRT is predicted to have on the order of 120,000 commuters per day riding on it. So we're going to fund the LRT. Thanks, Mr. Ward 9 Counselor. <laughs> but I think your point is pretty salient about the mayor because I feel as if the mayor might have lost the plot Generally, the mayor is the one who sets the direction for council. He's our public face for the city. He's the one who talks to the media. He He's only one vote on council, but he's got more power. He sets the direction in general. Yeah. I haven't seen a lot of that from Don Iveson. In fact, I've seen him in the calcium chloride debate, the biggest debate, essentially begging his council colleagues to be reasonable and then them rejecting. Yeah, we've touched on this in past episodes, but it certainly feels like we're a lot closer to an election year than we actually are. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have all of next year and most of 2021 before the election. And it certainly feels like people are lining up to take his spot. And I've said before that if the election were called today, I don't think he would run again. He just seems tired. He seems like he doesn't want to fight the fight. And what you need the mayor to be doing is, you know, he's, I mean, we don't have, we don't have to whip votes, but that idea, making sure that people in the council wing are aligned and are not out of order and that he knows what's coming and that he's not caught off guard. And it just seems like lately he's been un unable to do that. And I've heard from people around the mayor before that in the Mandel years, a lot of council debates was done in the back room. So yeah. by the time the meeting went in public, everything had already been decided and it was basically rubber stamping what the votes were already decided to be. And in many ways, that's not a great way for public and openness especially if you believe the rumors about mandel's style right which is that he'd go into a room and yell and swear and you know do everything but throw the chair across the room uh in order to make it clear how he felt yeah so not the greatest way to run a city and what i've heard is that iveson's a 
very far pendulum swing to the other side where yeah. he doesn't want to have any backroom meetings really at all. He wants discussions to happen in public and they wants council to debate in public, which worked pretty well, I would say, for the 13 term and the term before that. However, no one else was running for mayor in the room in those terms. And this term, a lot of people are running for mayor in the room. And I think as a mayor, you can't have people with their eye on that goalpost basically campaigning in the room that you're in and trying to run as meeting chair. At least not when the current mayor doesn't seem like he's up to the task of reining them in. Especially on something as big as this. Iveson is the transit mayor. Yeah. That he had LRT t-shirts printed as campaign materials. That's right. So this would be his standard bearing event. And we saw him bearing the standard on transit, right? He was out talking to other people about transit right he wasn't talking about something else right yeah he was going off to meet with our new deputy prime minister and they had a great discussion all about transit uh-huh no they didn't they talked about food and timber why yeah so he said basically when he met with uh christopher Lynn that they talked a lot about timber and food actually um before he went off to the fcm event this week he said that since we produce them on the prairies we can create some more jobs more employment more wealth not just for canada but for the prairies so kind of not talking about Edmonton's priorities at all here. It's baffling to me because I didn't think Edmonton had a burgeoning logging industry, <laughs> what with our protected, undeveloped river valley. And I don't know why he seems to be going to bat for provincial concerns when he has an antagonistic government who doesn't really I care mean, about Edmonton. Am I, I going too far saying that? No, I don't think so. I, I mean, unless he likens himself to, you know, his neighbor to the south, Nenshi, who has positioned himself as maybe a peace broker between the federal and provincial governments, or at least between the federal government and the West, right? And and the mayor did say his usual talking point about, you know, wanting to have a new relationship between local governments and the federal government, you know, to modernize that relationship um, and to make sure that everybody gets a seat at the table. But to do it after talking about timber and food just seemed a bit strange to me. What do you make of some rumors that have been circulating around that uh, Iveson might be looking up to move into provincial politics? Yeah, I've heard, we've heard this in the province for a, a lot of years, right? That either Iveson or Nenshi or both have designs on moving into maybe provincial or federal politics. You know, Nenshi, it's pretty clear, I think, wants to be prime minister, you know? <laughs> Uh, I mean, that's my opinion. I'd vote for Nenshi. But Iveson, I'm not so sure. He's never been quite as out there as Nenshi in terms of his ambitions, I don't think. And given, you know, what we've just been saying about, you know, I don't know if tired's the right word or just fed up with the, the, the way that things are happening in the city. I think resigned, resigned might be a word. He He's not so much tired. He's still putting in effort. He's still doing yeah, his I don't mean to base. say he's not doing his job. He's just not doing it as effectively. To be an effective mayor and to rally the troops, you sort of need to exhibit passion. Yeah. And I haven't seen a lot of passion from him. He's still the same smart dude who, like, wants to make positive changes, but I don't see him rallying as much. And he seems yeah. like... Especially when people are attacking his dreams, like other councillors are doing to transit, I would have expected fiery fight back. But it's kind of just, eh, this happened. He said, actually, uh, in response to Cartmel's thing, I'm a bit frustrated. Just a bit. Mm -hmm. Not a lot, 
not this is ridiculous, not, you know, anything a little bit more fiery as you're talking about, just I'm a bit frustrated. So that's probably not the right approach you want to take if you're looking to move up into higher office. You probably want to leave on a strong note yeah. or at least not make it seem like you've been run out of your own mayoral chair. Um, so I don't think there's truth to it is the short answer to your question. I, I would agree with your assessment. We're going to assess our climate change strategy, which others have assessed at a really high grade. We got an A this week. Yeah, don't you love a good report card? <laughs> I um was a solid C- minus student, so report cards give me trauma. But let's hear about that A. Okay, well, I got this newsletter from the City of Edmonton's Climate Action Team, so this isn't reported in the media that I've seen yet, so take that with a grain of salt, I suppose. Um, Breaking news. But they said they received a score of A in 2019, which places us in the leadership category. And this is um, an initiative, a global network of over 800 cities that, you know, do their part to increase transparency and accelerate climate action. So this program is called the CDP reporting program. And for the life of me, I cannot find out what CDP means on this website. It just uses the acronym over and over and over. So <laughs> I guess that's what maybe it's not an acronym. That's what it is. It's CDP. And it means that we are one of the leaders, I guess, in this. And the city's newsletter said that it means we have demonstrated best practice standards across adaptation and mitigation, as well as set ambitious but realistic goals and have made progress toward achieving those goals. It also indicates that we have strategic holistic plans to ensure actions being taken will reduce climate impacts. So, you know, it's pretty positive stuff. Do you think do you think we have such holistic, strategic, ambitious progress making goals? Um, so I would have said um, a couple days ago, no, yeah. absolutely not. Uh, we're all talking no action. However, on the agenda for next week, December 2nd's executive committee, there's an interim climate action report that's being uh, passed up to uh, city council. Yep. And this isn't so much of a we're asking for stuff. This is administration saying we have heard from Edmontonians that they want the city to take climate action. We've heard direction from council that we want climate action. So we're doing it. And included in it was just like a list of actions that they might take and whether or not they were funded yet. And so some of the things are things like pursuing green energy contracts. So for right. the years 2021 and 22, a green energy contract will be tendered and we're going to offset all of Edmonton's admissions with green energy. And that's funded. That's administration saying this is a thing that we are doing starting next year. The other one that was really interesting is two initiatives to aid the electric vehicle transition, which is um, installing more electric vehicle chargers, which, yeah, pretty normal. Uh, yeah. That's funded as well. But then they just threw in introduce a new rebate program that incentivizes the electrification of the transportation system as well as reduces the use of single occupancy vehicles by implementing an e-bike rebate. So the city of Edmonton is going to add a rebate system for residents to purchase pedal assist bicycles. I Wh guess we know what you're getting for Christmas. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the first thing I thought I, immediately when I read that, I texted a bunch of people. I'm like, Troy's getting an e-bike on Boxing Day. Um, is this funded? It is listed as funded. Interesting. So this is just something that they're going to have next year. I have, there's very few details in this report mm -hmm. exactly uh, what it means. Like, is this going to be a rebate off my property tax? Is the city of Edmonton going to just mail me a check? Like, 
how does this work? How does a city offer a rebate on? Well, they've purchase? done this before with like solar energy, haven't they? Like incentives for, I guess that would have been a property tax rebate. Yeah. Them. And they also yeah. could do things like tie that to a property. So like you could invest in solar and then previous or yeah. subsequent property owners would pay the solar bill and it's like amortized to the actual property. Sure. This is a little bit different. This is like Troy goes Christmas shopping and gets a check and does this also apply to regular bicycles? Those offset climate change even more than an e-bike. Get um, people out of single occupancy vehicles. And like this is a step down because like the federal government, they offer an electric vehicle rebate. Yep. So everyone says, well, you know, electric bikes offer so much more carbon offset. So if this gets implemented, I'm sure people will say, well, just a regular bike offers a lot more offset. Yeah. I'm really, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm fascinated to see how it ends up working have you ridden one of these e-bikes these electric assist bikes yeah they're fun they're fast right well and they're provincially they're rate limited i think they can only contribute to your pedaling at like 28 kilometers an hour but still going 28 on a bike that's pretty it's a decent clip and like going up hills is a dream one of the things that would get us up and down hills was a gondola which is delayed yeah, shocker. This report on Gonda feasibility, this is the sort of next step in the public part of this whole process, is now due back at the end of January. So we got to wait another month and a half, two months, I guess. Another report was delayed. Um, YEG Innovation, Edmonton Global, EEDC, Role Clarity, figuring out exactly what all those organizations do. We're supposed to have a report. We don't. Yeah, the last report that it came up, we talked about um, you know, a few weeks ago. They were like, okay, this is a good interim step, but it's that report on December 2nd. That's the one that's going to give us all the answers. That's the one where the independent third-party organization is doing this review, and they're going to tell us what's up and what's down. And it's like, yeah, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. December 2nd is not going to happen the week before budget. So I'm not surprised. Uh, unfortunately, we don't have a revised due date for this one. It just says to be determined. Cool. Uh, so we will let you know about that sometime. Could be never. We don't know. <laughs> Hopefully not. Uh You'll recall that this slow burn segment, it exists because of the Mill Creek Ravine uh, daylighting project, mm. which had a revised due date of to be determined, and it turned out to be never. Never. So <laughs> That's a good point. One thing that won't happen never is us reading you another ad. That's going to happen right now. And to do this one, we're actually going to go into story time. Well, ATB provided us with a story. Let's let's read it. Once upon a time, after hockey one day, Hans Duff and his buddies started talking about opening their own brewery in Lacombe. When they brought the idea of blind man brewing, spoiler alert, it actually exists now, to ATB, they were on board from the beginning. Now, three years into their business, blind man brewing is considered a veteran of the Albertan brewing industry. They were 20th on the scene, and now there are no, over 99 breweries in Alberta. To get inspired by their story, visit atb.com slash Hans. Um, navigation on the web is typically implemented via a thing called breadcrumbs. So I guess that's like our Hans and the witch. And that, <laughs> that's, that's, our, that's our fairy tale tie-in here. Hansel and Gretel. Yeah, I'm a fan of Blind Man. I've been down to the brewery in Lacombe and got to do a tour uh, it's a pretty cool space. And it was also interesting to me at first. I don't know if I realized that it was the Duff family that was behind the brewery. So we've been buying from Duff's at the city center market for years. Um, they're now known as Lacombe Fresh. So if you go to to the markets, that's the brand you should look for. And we've also been through their farm and met the whole family. And it's a really cool Alberta story that, um, you know, they've been farming and, and providing fresh produce for so long and now also beer. Cool. I like it. All right. 
Well, um, we're done for the week. We'll be back next week. Not many more weeks, but at least next week. So until then, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Municipally.